the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick. Sorry, kids. Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, and thank you for joining us on another exciting adventure in the future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with today's leading experts, bringing evolutionary solution to today's unique challenges. You, my treasured audience, are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour will consider divinely thriving in the age of anxiety. Even before the pandemic and resulting trauma, it had become relatively clear that there's nothing like stress and anxiety to compromise the immune system. One thing our modern lifestyles have in abundance is stress and anxiety. As we look to moving forward and life hopefully returning to somewhat normal, we have learned what have we learned from what, where we've been to help us proceed in a more balanced way? What can we do to improve our personal health and well-being? Is there any guidance in the wisdom of the ancients to help us reset to a more wholesome way of life, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually? With us this hour to explore the treasures held by the ancients and their modern-day application is Ayurvedic practitioner Jonathan Glass. Jonathan is the founder of Javatma Energy Healing and the author of Total Life Cleanse. He's a master acupuncturist, energy healer, herbalist, and natural health educator. He served on the faculty of the New England School of Acupuncture and the Dharma Institute of Yoga and Ayurveda. Jonathan has facilitated thousands through his transformational Javeta Energy Healing Total Life Cleanse programs. He's been in private practice since 1987 when he co-founded the Healing Essence Center with his wife, Catherine, in Concord, Massachusetts. His website, HealingEssenceCenter.com. Jonathan, thanks for joining us once again on Mission Evolution. Thank you so much for having me, Gould. I really appreciate it. It's really great to be here. Nice to have you. So would you tell us um, a little bit about the Ayurvedic practice, please? Sure. So Ayurveda, um, Ayurveda means knowledge of life. Veda means knowledge and Veda means life. So it's an ancient system of medicine that is the, the sister of the yoga system. 
that is aligned with the principles of yoga. And yoga very simply means link or union. So it's the process of unifying the body, the mind, the spirit. And then you could also say the spirit of the soul with the divine. So the system of medicine that is in harmony with that is called Ayurveda. It's a very sophisticated system. It covers a lot of bases. It actually included even things like surgery. Uh, It's very sophisticated in terms of herbology and uh, physical practices, yoga practices, breathing practices, even gemology, uh, mantra, the use of sound vibration for healing, um, astrology, palmistry. includes all, all those things in diet, nutrition, uh, lifestyle. So it's, it's quite vast, but once we identify our imbalances and the directions that we want to go, there's, it's wonderful. It's just ripe with all kinds of wonderful possibilities and, and recommendations that are available. How old practice is Ayurveda? Well, it's known um, to be at least around 5,000 years, but in some of the more ancient Vedic scriptures, um, or the most, the oldest Vedic scriptures, uh, speak of times uh, many, 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 many thousand years prior to that that Ayurveda was prominent. So. It's, it's understood that the first written documents were around 5,000 years ago, but it, was, it existed before that. What language were they written in? In Sanskrit. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. called, Sanskrit's called Devanagri, and Devanagri means the language of the gods. And so what, what nationality did it originate in? Uh, it was in India. It was in India, um, and it was... Um, there's a place called Navadweep, which was one of the areas where it began in India. When when you listed all the things that, that are included, from um, gemology to herbology to and on and on and on and on, it sounds like a lot of the New Age practices have snatched a little piece of it and um, yeah. made a practice out of it. Is that accurate? Sure. Yeah, in fact, you could even say that uh, Chinese medicine emerged out of Ayurveda. Um, you know, many argue that Ayurveda was really the first comprehensive and systematic uh, health practice on the planet um, that was, you know, well formulated and, and put together um, because of its, its its vast nature. And there's even sort of an understanding, this gets a little bit more esoteric, was that um, there's life on other planets and that a being named Dunbantari, um, who is considered to be an incarnation of Lord Vishnu, came to the earth to bring this specific type of medicine to the planet, uh, specifically so that people could you know, fulfill their... <clears throat> their dharma or their life purpose in this life in human form, and at the same time uh, tread the path of of self-realization or yoga simultaneously, where, like I said, it's very sophisticated and very effective. Um, The modern medicine, and this is not to criticize everything about modern medicine by any means, however, it tends to be very um, linear 
and doesn't necessarily acknowledge the reality of consciousness and and the or the soul or the you know the the force the life force in the body where ayurveda begins with that understanding it fully accepts that so that everything is around <clears throat> just like hippocrates said you know for doctors they take an oath um do no harm ayurveda also considers that very deeply but do no harm in such a way that it interferes with the spiritual development of the living entity. So do no harm, but in addition, uh, don't interfere with the spiritual development of the individual. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Wow, just amazing. So um, what drew you to be an Ayurvedic practitioner, Jonathan? You know, I think it was just one thing, one thing from another, really. I mean, I was, I got into somehow or other um, massage therapy, interested in that quite early in life. I think mostly it, it first came about when I was at camp. One summer I injured myself and I went to the infirmary and it was just sort of, this is in 1969, kind of crazy, but the nurse at the infirmary knew shiatsu, which is a type of um, Japanese acupressure. And it just kind of blew my blew my mind because I went in there with a lot of shoulder pain and I walked out 100%, all my pain was gone. And granted, I was nine years old and body heals darn fast at nine years old, but it still was a, a almost a shocking experience. And that stoked my interest very, very early. And um, in high school, I started practicing meditation. Um, and in some ways it was just to help me get through the social craziness, and also I found that my sports were better. I played soccer, I played hockey. You know, I, I found I was a me- much more centered when I meditated before the games. Um, but in doing that, it began to open up my consciousness to other possibilities, and I realized that life wasn't just as it seemed or, or that I was sort of being taught only by society that there was a lot more to things. So I started reading books and, you know, sort of it became my hobby in a way to read books about yoga and meditation. And I also had a lot of severe allergies as a kid. I was very sensitive to to dairy and I had horrendous allergies and I discovered that changing my diet made a big difference. So one thing led to another and um, then I got really seriously into meditation and that sort of led me to um, the practice of Ayurveda. So what kind of training is required? If it's so vast and expansive, it sounds like there must be quite a bit of training. Well, there's a lot of potential training with Ayurveda, and there's different, there's different degrees. Um, and in this country, it's becoming more and more solidified. What happened with me is I got really into Ayurveda, and I studied a lot of books, and I went to India, and I studied with a, a teacher there. Um, but I didn't get many degrees that way. And when I came back, I, I just decided because Ayurveda wasn't – you couldn't get a license in Ayurveda. So I ended up going to a, a, an acupuncture school called the, classic, the Worsley Classical Institute for Five-Element Acupuncture, which had a lot of um, similarities in its philosophy to Ayurveda. So that really drew me. So I basically, in my mind, was practicing, in one sense, Ayurvedic acupuncture. And from there, I went on to study um, uh, more with a, a number of different teachers, and I also um, studied with a person who was one of the first students of Basant Ladd, who was one, of, was one of the first teachers in America, who came to America from India, and he has a school in New Mexico. So that's where I really 
did the foundation of my studies uh, was with this person. And um, and there's always more to learn. It's truly there's always more to learn. I'm, I'm not an expert in gemology or astrology, although I'm very familiar with it. But if I, like I have a, a Vedic astrologer uh, where he practices something he calls Asterian uh, astrology, but it includes the, uh, the aspect of Vedic astrology. And if I have questions or issues with a patient, I will often recommend my patients go see him, and they get a lot of insight, and then I get to hear their readings and, and learn from an astrological perspective. But it's, it's very powerful. It's, there's so much there. I mostly work with diet, nutrition, lifestyle, herbs, you know, meditation, that type of thing, breathing practices. That's sort of my, my specialty. So was originally, if we know, um, did they, like you were just talking, break it down where people were kind of like specialists, uh, which Igorhas would break it apart? Um, did they do that in, in ancient times, or was a person expected to be a jack-of-all-trades but maybe a master of none? Um. You know, that's a good question. I, I, I know that um, there were definitely specialists in what's called Jyotish, which is the, the Jyoti means light. So it's basically uh, a, a master of the stars or one who knows the stars. <clears throat> so that's what astrology is. So, no, there were people that specialized in different areas. Um, but if, in other words, if you went to a Vedic and Ayurvedic clinic, <clears throat> You might have a main doctor that oversees your case, and he might do the assessment. He might assess your dosha, your body type, might assess your imbalances. He might make uh, dietary recommendations and such. But then he might say, okay, now you're going to go for the next you know, month. Every day you're going to get a massage from those four people over there. And then you're going to get your Jyotish reading from this person over here, and then you're going to get your your palm reading and your and and your Jyotish and your gemology. You, oftentimes the Jyotish and the gemology goes together, and sometimes with specific mantras they may go together. And so that's kind of how it worked. There would be a main person who who manages the situation, and then will recommend to different specialists. So, you know, he may not be an expert. He probably learned the appropriate massage therapy, but he may not be practicing it anymore. We may have other people that do that full-time. So it's not dissimilar from what we're doing today with our, our um, uh, major care practitioner and then our uh, right. specialists. Uh, right. That makes and sense, uh, given that, as vast as it is. Yeah, it's it's a similar in principle, um, although it's um, different practically because um, not... I mean, I've certainly seen a lot in my practice where there may be one doctor leading the show, but <clears throat> they're not necessarily in great communication with all the different right. other doctors. Well, they're we're going to have to take a communication breakdown. We're going to have to take a commercial break. Jonathan and I will return shortly, so don't you go away. This is Mission Evolution coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net, and the Exxon TV channel, www.exxontvchannel.com.
Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Hello again. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To our faithful and thoughtful audience, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about counteracting the impact of the stressors of our times? Email me at info at missionevolution.org and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled, The Evolutionary Potential of the Human Brain. M.O. states, this is an outstanding segment. Puts so much together. Driving to the bookstore now to get the new book. Thanks, M.O. Dr. Jill Taylor was an amazing woman with a powerful personal story and message about the hidden potential of the human brain. It was an honor to have her on the show. Curious, dear audience? Visit our archives at missionevolution.org, listen to the episode entitled The Evolutionary Potential of the Human Brain, and let us know what you think. With us this hour discussing the thriving during times of anxiety is Jonathan Glass, his website, healingessencecenter.com. Jonathan, what does Ayurvedic say about the root cause of illness? Yeah, so there's there's two things that it says. There's there's the, the root, and then there's the... You could say that with a seed, and then there's the root. And the seed is a very interesting word. It's, I'll say it, um, pragyaparad. And pragya means knowledge or experience, and aparad means to offend. So Ayurveda says <clears throat> that the cause of all disease or imbalance ultimately <clears throat> excuse me, when, is when we offend our own wisdom, knowledge, and experience. So what that means is that when we disconnect, and you could say, you could argue, that's when we're not in a state of yoga, when the body, the mind, and the soul are disconnected in some way, that can cause pragyaparad, or the, either the unawareness of um, what is best for us, or the denial of what is best for us. So it's it's a it's a it's a complex thing. But you know, one example could be it could it could even be an innocent thing where a parent may force a child to eat something or or eat more than they may want to eat. 
is very simple, but over the over time, the child may lose touch with their sense of being satisfied from eating and bypass that and theoretically could develop an eating disorder later in life because they, in their childhood, they always had to eat too much and they had to make a decision either if I don't eat what my father is telling me to eat, then I'll be punished. Even though I get a stomachache, I'd rather get a stomachache than be punished. So anyway, so then we can develop these, these bad habits. Um, based on childhood experiences. And there's different versions of Pragyaparata. I'm sure any, most people can relate to times where your intuition was saying, do this, do this, do this, or don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and you go opposite of that, and you get a some kind of ne- negative result. That's also Pragyaparata. So it sounds cause, like, uh, it, sounds, it sounds like what you're speaking about is turn from your natural balance point. Yes. That's Passive offense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it sounds yeah. like also uh, socialization is one big offense. I'm sorry, what is? Socialization, the way we grow up in the world, yes, in the modern yes, world. Yes, 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 it certainly can be. Yep. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You were about to tell us the second part. No, no. And then the other one is called ama, and ama means toxin. So toxin is also considered to be the cause of disease. So certainly we know about physical toxins, you know, heavy metals, chemicals, substances in the air, GMO, herbicides, pesticides, so many toxins in the environment. Um, Also, if the digestive system is not functioning optimally, then even if we're eating healthy food, if it's not broken down properly, some undigested protein fragments can get into the bloodstream and cause inflammation and cause problems. So it can be either literally toxins from the outside or toxins that the body um, uh, releases internally due to poor uh, assimilation and digestion. So um, that's AMA. But AMA can also be there on a mental level and an emotional level because... um, if or mentally we don't digest something or if we have uh, frozen images of how things should be, then uh, we're not going to perceive and digest life around us very well. Ayurveda is it's all about digestion. So then also emotionally, if we don't digest an experience. So when we take in food, we're meant to take it in Uh, utilize the nutrients so that it nourishes us and pass on the rest, eliminate the rest. And the same way experiences are meant to be that way. We take in, we have the experience, we learn something from it, we may experience some pleasure just like in eating, and then release the experience. But a traumatic experience or a painful experience sometimes is very difficult to digest, especially for a very young child. It can be almost impossible to fully comprehend and digest something that's very, you know, quite traumatic. And so that can get stored in the understanding. It gets stored in what's called the subtle body, which over time pervades into the physical body and could also cause illness. So Ayurveda does say the cause of emotional imbalances um, is from undigested experiences. What about spiritual? Is there uh, uh, spiritual toxins as well? Those are great. That's great. And yes, there, it, there is in this sense. 
although on the one hand, you know, the spirit is pure, the soul is pure, atma, satchit ananda, eternal, full of knowledge, full of bliss, that's the true nature of the soul. But having said that, we can certainly be toxic in terms of our spiritual beliefs. Or, you know, if someone is extremely dogmatic. Um, and, you know, it sounds like all of this relates to lack of movement. Yep, absolutely. We would say lack of prana, the lack of the, the flow of prana. That's true. Interesting. Well, let's bring, the, let's, bring this, let's bring this to the street. You speak of this age of anxiety. What do you mean by mm. this? Yeah, so in, in the Vedic scriptures, there's, there's a, a number of Vedic scriptures, but there's the, <clears throat> the four Vedas. And then there's one called the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is a scripture that was considered to be the, the fruit and a, sort of a commentary on the four Vedas. And in that scripture that was written about 5,000 years ago, it describes the four ages that this planet goes through. And it goes through uh, what's called a golden age, a silver age, a bronze age, and an iron age. And then and does, it recycle, the, does it recycle those? And then it recycles and it goes back okay. to the, the golden mm -hmm. age again. Yep. There's many, 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 many cycles. We happen to be, according to Vedic um, astrological understanding, we are in presently what's called the Kali Yuga, which is an iron age. And in each age, there's considered to be four limbs of what's called Dharma or righteousness, which is truth, purity, compassion, and then the other one is called tapasya or discipline. Um, and those four legs have to be there for an individual or for a society to function in an optimal way so that people can live peacefully, prosper, and develop spiritually at the same time. In Kali Yuga, um, three out of the four legs are very, very damaged, and there's it's said that we're only living on one leg, and even that one dwindles. <laughs> so the last leg that we're living on is truth. And we can see now, you know, everyone can see around us how precarious that leg is. If we listen to the, you know, to the media, if we listen to so many things, and, and you know, uh, to be a politician, it's pretty much accepted there has to be lying uh, quite profusely. So it, it's, it's a very difficult age in that sense. And so the, back to the point of anxiety is that um, in this age, one of the most prominent qualities is anxiety. What, it, what impact it, it, is... Sorry, what impact does stress? What impact does stress and anxiety have on our health? Yeah, it has a, a strong impact on our health because what's happening on a subtle level ultimately will ripple through into a physical level. Just like in a positive way, if I if I want to build a house on the subtle level and I'm imagining it, and then I make a blueprint, and then I get the materials. And I follow the plan and eventually I build a house. So the subtle proceeds, what we call subtle proceeds growth. So if our mind and uh, our nervous system, which is more subtle than, say, the, the tissues of, of the body, if the, if the mind and nervous system are disturbed on a regular basis, then eventually that will disturb the inherent 
innate intelligence of the body, and, and it can even cause toxins and pregeparad because our mind won't we won't be tuned into ourselves enough to know what actually serves my life and what is opposed to serving my life. So definitely anxiety and stress can interfere with proper awareness, uh, seeing things clearly as they are, and knowing how to act in different situations. Well, can can stress and anxiety also interfere with our ability, because we're in fight or flight, right? So does that yeah. interfere with our ability to settle in and imagine to make the blueprint? So does it interfere with our ability to manifest? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because you're not able to slow down enough to to be in that creative space. So you know, you're that sort of that reactive rather of, than proactive. You're in, you're in a, re, in a reactive place. Exactly. So, so that's a very, very prominent quality of Kali Yuga is that there's always this, I mean, how many people do we know that we could say, well, that person is almost never in anxiety. It's not very common um, in this age. But there are things that we can do, and that, that's where Ayurveda and different practices come in and healing comes in. But to see it from that lens of, of how important it is to reconnect on a deep level with our essence or our consciousness or our soul, and then with the, you know, you could say the supreme consciousness or the source of all things as well, because in that state, all wisdom, all awareness is available to us. It's a little bit like a, you know, if there's a beautiful calm lake, if we look at the lake, we can see ourselves clearly in the reflection. If the lake is very rough and disturbed, then we look and we look all warbly and we, we can't really see ourselves clearly. So when the consciousness is disturbed through with anxiety and stress, we just don't see ourselves or life or, or other people very clearly. And, and that's that's so tragic, because if we don't see ourselves, our life, and other people, we're living in an illusion, aren't we? Exactly. Yes, that's exactly, that's that's the word that the, that they, that's often used, living in illusion, because of that. Well, we're just about out of time for this segment, but could you list quickly, and then we'll address them on the other side of the break, what are the leading causes of anxiety that you see during our times? Well, I like to start with the physical. I like to start with just what we put in our bodies because everything is energy. And um, if we're putting in very low vibration foods, you know, foods that are uh, made in a, uh, rather than fresh foods, foods that are, that are processed and added with lots of bad oils and fats and sugars and refined substances and chemicals, that's going to bring down our vibrations. So food's right there. Um, how we breathe is so important. The water we're that have we drink to, is so we're important. We're going to have to pick up on this list on the other side of the break, and we will do that. Jonathan and I will return to our discussion shortly, so you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net, and the Exxon TV channel, www.exxontvchannel.com.
Welcome back. This is Mission Revolution. Did you know our entire Leading Edge information-packed past episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. To find out more about me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the other things I offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com. Our guest this hour is Jonathan Glass. We're speaking about ancient wisdom to help us through modern times. His website, healingessencecenter.com. Jonathan, we were we were listing the uh, leading causes of anxiety, and you had mentioned food and the quality and quantity and life force that's in the food that we eat. Um, it appears to me that the quality and quantity of life force that's in the food that we eat at this point, because everything is so processed, is almost negligent. I mean, it's almost non-existent. What does there come a time when it takes more to eliminate the toxins from the food we're eating than the nutrition that we're getting from them? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, if, if, if sometimes a food will have a negative quotient after we eat it because it takes more energy to detoxify it and eliminate than, it, than the nutrients you actually get from that food. So that would be the case of junk food. You know, Ayurveda divides all foods into different categories and foods that are harmonious and nutritious, foods that are <clears throat> stimulating and foods that create density and negativity. And um, the first thing with the negativity is processed, old, uh, <clears throat> toxic foods. And certainly if you go through the aisle at many supermarkets and you pick up a box and you look at the ingredients, all the food coloring and preservatives and the processing that that went through, all of those foods will really bring down someone's energy. I mean, I have patients who, you know, they may be their chocoholics and they may be eating some very commercial brand of chocolate. So in some cases, the first thing I'll do will say, you know what, from now on, start eating dark chocolate from a high-quality organic brand and start with that because just that removes all the all the crap out of the food, all the toxins out of the food, and it also comes from a much better vibration. And people really notice a difference. You know, rather than eating something that has a tremendous amount of corn syrup and sugar and preservatives and all kinds of things in there that no human being should should ever be eating, at least they're eating something real and somewhat natural. So as you add all of these things, then you said there's, um, what's the next level we were just starting to talk about? Food and well, then we went to? Food and, and, and air. You know, breathing mm -hmm. okay. is, is super important. You know, breathing is, uh, in Ayurveda, it's described that the, the digestion is like fire. And fire needs oxygen. So we need air to ignite the energy in our cells. And... Um, lack of breathing. So you could say lack of exercise, but in, in you know, in Ayurveda there's there's so many or in the yoga system there's so many different types of breathing practices, but it's called pranayam. It's so important even just to go out for a walk for ten, fifteen minutes a day, really focusing on full deep breaths is is so important. And breathing through the nose primarily um, because that expands, actually opens the blood vessels. It's even science has now shown that breathing in and out of the nose 
stimulates n- the release of nitric oxide, which naturally expands the blood vessels, increases blood flow. So we get blood, more blood to all the cells and the tissues and the nerves and the brain and all the extremities of the body much more efficiently. So breathing is is extremely important, extremely important. So what, uh, you've got food and you've got breath, and is there another one on the list? Yeah, well, we got, you know, we got water, of course, and then we have um, avoiding certain toxins, avoiding uh, the pesticides and the herbicides, which are carcinogenic, and um, some of the herbicides have an extremely damaging effect on the small intestine, where the the root of the body, the, it's where the body's roots are, that it literally extract and take in the nutrients and send those nutrients through a, a vein to the liver. Um, but when we eat certain foods with high amounts of specific herbicides and pesticides, um, it damages that it opens the gates of the small intestine and keeps them open um, for too long of a time, which then means we have proteins and substances in the small intestine that are leaking into the bloodstream. And this, this can happen. I have people, and I've, I've, I've seen it with patients over the years, almost 24 hours a day, they're leaking toxins into their bloodstream. And um, this is a cause of chronic illness, chronic disease, uh, chronic inflammation. It's, it's a serious problem. So now, with, the, with even more so now, with the pesticides, herbicides, genetically modified foods, and such, and what they've done to wheat, modern wheat. Um, so the, it's, it's important to get educated on these things. There are ways around it, but we have to become, we don't have to become scholars, but we have to become educated, and that's one of the things that I really tried to um, emphasize in my book, was just, was just to really educate people enough so that they could make really good decisions, the best decisions possible in their lives for their health. And then, of course, there's a, a sense, sense toxins. That means toxins that we're taking in through our mind and our senses um, where we can't even digest it. So, for instance, if somebody is watching media or listening to media uh, 12 hours a day, and there's certainly people who do that. Some, I know some people who have their media on 24 hours a day. I know people don't turn off their their television at night when they're sleeping um, because they're listening. I mean, that's an extreme, but many people will have something on, even the news, 12, 15 hours a day. And this is really, really an assault on the senses because we can't digest that. We can't digest it. We can't make sense of it. Um, it's too much coming in all at once. It's like being in... Uh, you know, a class in high school, you might be able to understand the teacher for the first 45 minutes, but after a while, you, the, the brain just goes blank. You can't take in anymore. And that's what's happening to us, especially with the media challenges we have these days. It's very important. And then, does, you know, overstimulating it, the senses as well. When, sorry, when, you're listening, when you're listening to media and the brain shuts mm. down, we also, we also have um, what they used to, well, they still use, I'm sure, sub, subliminal, is that the way you say it? Sure, Messaging. Yeah. So the brain shut down, but something's still getting in. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's a little bit like, uh, you know, in Ayurveda, everything is about digestion. So if you're eating even healthy food, but you eat way too much of it, Say, you know, you can't say you're, this is so delicious, this 
broccoli something salad. But you go past that point of being satisfied and you eat, someone eats way, way too much. Some of that is not going to be digested. Even though it tasted good, it's not going to be digested well. It may be that uh, it, some of it will turn into ama or toxin, especially if someone chronically overeats. That will happen. So, so it's still coming into the senses. It's still coming in, but it kind of has to get stored somewhere. So it will disturb, it'll disturb the brain, it'll disturb the nervous system, it'll disturb the intelligence, it'll disturb the mind. And so it will have what Nairve would call a vitiating or a vitiating or a deranging effect on the intelligence, on the mind, on the consciousness. It's um, almost like a foreign entity in taking up residence, yep. Exactly, it's taking up residence. Now, you know, like for the cleanse that, I lead. We have we have a section called the media fast, and it's so amazing because years ago when we first started doing, is okay, no television and no flipping through, you know, magazines. You know that was the big thing, and now it's like a thousand times more difficult. But you know we really recommend okay, really give social media a break. If you have to do it for business, do it for that, but for no other reason. For let's see how long you can do it, but we recommend people do it for 21 days. And it's really powerful when people do that. It is amazing how different people feel when they when they do only the necessary. Do you, you know? find that Do you find that uh, people also what starts to bubble forth is all the things they're cramming down to ignore by staying That's totally true. involved in uh, media That's true. and that sort of Absolutely, thing. absolutely. How do you, How do you deal? But you with know, that? the beautiful thing is, there's a lot of times it'll come up in the first day or two. They'll be kind of struggling and suffering and dealing with their mind. But then in a, in a couple of days after that, there's such a relief and people start appreciating a tree and walking outside and breathing fresh air and talking to a friend. And, you know, it, 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 that, that element of the simplicity of life comes back pretty quick. It's really quite amazing. So we don't like those first couple of days, but it's a sad thing that we drop, you know, that the tendency due to the, the captivating, the incredibly captivating, mesmerizing, hypnotizing impact of media um, can make someone, you know, addicted to it for many, many years, and they can find out, wow, three days off of it, I'm, I'm like 80% happier than I was. <laughs> so it's really quite remarkable. So talk about personal power. How is our personal power involved in, in, you've been talking about regaining balance in all these areas, right? Mm. How is our personal power involved in being able to regain balance? That's a, a, a great question. Um, well, I, I think the first thing is to uh, recognize that you that, that we are a, a sovereign being. We we do have uh, the right to you know to think the way we think and to uh, explore truths in life. And um, you know it's it's in fact in the Vedic system it is the in one sense the the duty and the opportunity of being a human being that we can know ourselves and that we can know what is this universe, and we can know our connection with the divine. I mean, that is a given. And if we know that, that that's our birthright, 
to start. And that in one sense, that is the purpose of human life. I'm not saying which path that is, but to know yourself and to know the, your, your connection with divine, that is our birthright. So to start with that automatically, and if we accept that fully, that's empowering right there. Because nobody, if you accept that fully, nobody can tell you, no, you can't do that. No, you can't read that book. No, you can't think that way. No, you can't explore that. Because already you're coming from the place of, I know that I'm here to, to fulfill my purpose as a human being. And if we start out from that point, that right there is empowering. And then we get to explore what are those things that are interfering with that and what are those things that can nourish that. And when we, we make the choices to accept those things in our life that are nourishing for that and avoid or reject those things that take away from that, that also cultivates personal power. That helps us per- cultivate personal power. And then I will say that there's a certain point where, whether you want to call it God or goddess or the universe or the supreme consciousness or the, whatever you want to say, there's a reciprocation that comes that empowers us also. There's a certain point where as we're walking on the path, as we're waking up, there's a reciprocal energy. So it's, it becomes not just me being personally empowered, it's I am being personally empowered by something in one sense bigger than me. So it, it's, it's a loop. There's a, saying, there's a verse in the Bhagavad Gita, which is a beautiful Sanskrit scripture, and it says, as they um, surrender unto me, I reward them accordingly. So mm-hmm. as we, okay. you know, and I, right. I give, I give that which is lacking. I maintain what you have and 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 give what is lacking. So even if well, we have we'll qualities have to, in us that are lacking, we, I would like I would like to explore this further on the other side. But we do need to take a commercial break. Jonathan and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion. Don't go away. This is Mission Evolution coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net, and the Exxon TV channel, www.exxontvchannel.com. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or guest that you think would be of interest, email us, info at missionevolution.org. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. To find out more about me, Gwildawiecka, my school, and the evolutionary tools we offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Jonathan Glass. His website, HealingEssenceCenter.com. Jonathan, we were getting into a couple of very interesting things. One of them is you were talking about reciprocal energy and personal empowerment. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, we've, we've become islands. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. we don't put out that energy and we don't receive it back. Is the process of purification one of making us more receptive and reciprocal in the, the divine flow? 
yes, I would say that for sure. There is, it's, it's interesting, there's a Sanskrit word, anartha, anartha. Artha means that which is wanted, and an, when you add the word an to it, that means unwanted. So artha means that which is actually wanted in life. What, what do we really want? What, what does a human being really need and want? And then what are those things that obstruct that? And those things that obstruct that ultimately are tendencies, habits, belief systems, um, judgments about life, um, in, like we talked about the pragyaparad, um, ways that we offend our own consciousness and the ways that we may disrespect other living beings, other, li- other, other living, living entities, um, all those things are included in an anartha. So these are tendencies, and we all come in with different tendencies and anarthas that we come in with in this life. So purifying those anarthas, and there's various ways to do that, um, but purifying those anarthas is very important because after that, the next stage after that is, is called anartha nivritti. Um, we become steady as living beings. We can be, become steady in ourselves and steady in our purpose as human beings, as spiritual, spiritual human beings in this world. How much of those inarthas are genetic? I'm, we're hearing a lot about epigenetics and how these some of these tendencies and traits are passed down through our through generations, through mm-hmm. through through societies and cultures, and that a child when they're born are already carrying this in their DNA. Is that That's what you're true. talking about? Well, I am, I am talking about that, but we also have to recognize that, or, or from my understanding, you don't have to do anything, but um, is that whatever family we take birth in, um, this is our karma. It has something to do with our karma, our previous actions and previous lifetimes, and our previous proclivities, our tendencies. So it's, it's all very, uh, it's all weaved in a beautiful, amazing tapestry of, of sort of when it comes down to it, no accidents whatsoever. So, so why is it that you know person A comes into this type of family and person B comes into that type of family? And you know we may come into a very wealthy, successful family, and it may have all kinds of you know shadows there or not. But everybody comes in a different situation. So yes, it's it, you could you could argue that it's genetic or ancestral, on the one hand, but ultimately it's karmic, because the soul takes birth in a family according to our tendencies and actions from a previous, that are coming through from a previous lifetime. So in one sense, so it doesn't matter. The, the, but this is with the assumption that we do have past lives, yes? That's the assumption, yes. And that, that assumption is based on the principle that we are eternal, that we're ever-present, that the soul, when the body dies, that... Um, that the soul exists, continues to exist. And then the principle is, well, what does the soul do after it dies? You know, who, who, where do I go uh, when I die? And there's, there's a lot of different, you know, that's a whole other subject, but um, it goes somewhere. And again, this is, under, you know, even assuming that the soul exists, that, that I am a soul, I am consciousness, and that the physical body uh, dissipates the five elements, but 
there's still a there's still a me there's still a, some kind of consciousness that is me that goes somewhere so according to the vedic system or the, from the you know eastern perspective or the i would say the vedic perspective is that the soul is eternal and then it takes uh, and it can take a while it may go to some astral realm and then from that point at some point it will take birth again in some other form according to its uh, previous actions and mindset. It said that the mind, intelligence, and ego carries along with the soul to its next birth. So is that a frequency issue? In other words, the things that we haven't cleared compromise our frequency, and when we come back, and we come at that frequency with more karma to work out. Yeah, we, that's, that's a, we could definitely look at it from a, a frequency perspective, and that's why it's so important, important to clear the anarthas and raise our frequency, because when you clear so this the anarthas, your frequency. Yeah, it's it's definitely evolutionary, and there's ways to speed up the evolution, you know, and that's through through different types of uh, spiritual practices. And they're all they work on the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. You have to include Absolutely. all four. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So it's it's we go back to that four-legged stool again, right? Right. Exactly. Amazing. Exactly. Amazing. There's something that we touched on and I'd like to go back into because it's such a big thing for people, particularly as we've gone through, you know, the times that we've gone through and it makes us question everything. Most people feel that they have a purpose. We were talking about purpose. Yes. Feel they have a life's purpose, but most people haven't got a clue what it is. What mm -hmm. is life's purpose and how do we find it? <laughs> Great question. So that, that in, in, in Sanskrit, that's the word dharma. And dharma means that quality that is inherent in something that's always there. So the dharma of fire is to emit heat and light. And if it's fire, it can't do anything other than that. It has to emit heat and light. The dharma of water is liquidity. Now you could say, well, water can be turned into steam or it could become ice. But that's, that's a derangement of the actual water element in its actual state, it's liquid. So the understanding is that we there's two types of dharma that we as human beings can have. One is the eternal dharma, which is called sanatana dharma. And then the other one is called dharma, or you could call it a naimitika dharma, which means our temporary dharma. And the eternal dharma, according to the Vedic understanding, is, is called sanatana dharma, or the dharma of love. So love is the actual nature or essence of the soul. That is our, our eternal dharma. If there's a soul, its, its essence is love. Now, we can be covered by so many anarthas or clouds or misconceptions or so many things, but it still, does, it still means that still somewhere in there, even the most you know, horrible person you could imagine, somewhere in there is love. And in the same way, and then there's a naimitika dharma, which means the dharma, okay, I have this particular form. I, um, you know, I have this body, I have this mind, I have these abilities. And how it, then some way I can get in touch with those so I can live according to my nature, according to my temporary birth, but living at the best potential. So I'm not very tall, so it wouldn't be my dharma in this life to play basketball, be a professional basketball player. But so we have to accept our limitations, but we can also each human being has incredible potential to fulfill their their naimitika dharma in this life. 
And the blessing of that, too, is that if you live according to your nature in this life, automatically you can make spiritual advancement. And while you're doing that, you're connecting to your eternal dharma, which is love. And whatever process or path that is for you, that will enhance the realization of your eternal dharma, but it will also support and nourish what you're meant to be doing here on the planet. If we're pursuing that uh, reciprocal energy and clearing what stands between us and participating in it, ultimately, isn't that process our life purpose? Yes, that is our life purpose. That's, that is the, that is the uh, purpose of, of human life, is to, is to um, tread that path. You know, in the, in the Vedas, it said one of the scriptures, it, it's the first verse is, now that you have attained this human form of life, and it's basically saying, yes, you know, you must tread on the path of self-realization. And just, just you know, in our culture, I mean, it, it's, it's there for sure. I mean, gosh, 30 years ago in this culture, it was barely there. But, I mean, it's definitely there, but it's not part of the, the main fabric of our society. I mean, there's no, I don't know of any leaders, maybe a couple touch on it, you know, that actually, I mean, political leaders, there's other leaders for sure but they're, that are actually speaking, you know, you are a soul, you have a purpose, awakening your div, your div, to your divine nature is your purpose, removing the obstacles is the purpose of being human. Um, we get very confused, in my opinion, of, of what is the purpose of human life, and that we can get really bogged down in the other goals of life, which is eating, sleeping, you know, uh, we, they say eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. <laughs> the four purposes of life. How about, we can get how about so acquisition, you know? <laughs> yeah. So we get, we, get, we get stuck, you know. But we have to remember. I, I say have to, and I say that respectfully and not like everyone has to. I'm just saying it from my understanding, my belief, is that it, it benefits us to wake up to our divine potential. And if we don't do that, it's very difficult to get in touch with our dharma. Because if it's just about me, like, what am I supposed to do? But how are, how are we meant to serve? You know, we're all here to serve. And if we come from that, that spirit of how can I serve, how can I serve raising consciousness in myself and other living beings to awaken to our divine identity, how can I participate in that? And that's where I, I feel and I believe the reciprocal energy comes in to support that person. Now, things like a really good Vedic astrology chart or honestly an amazing palmistry reading because in the palm, everything is there. The whole, every single line tells a story. Um, that can confirm someone's dharma. So that's why somebody might get a Vedic astrology reading or a, a, a palmistry reading from somebody who's very, very qualified who actually understands that there is a purpose for that living entity in this life to fulfill. And by doing that, it's actually called Varnasham Dharma. It means the Dharma that you are meant to perform while you are here in this particular body, in this particular life. And by doing that, the person tends to be more peaceful because they're not disturbed by doing things that are against their nature. And then they can also focus on their spiritual life and wake up to who they really are. So, Jonathan, we're just about out of time. Um, but in closing, what is your mission? 
Well, I would say my mission is to uh, gradually, sometimes gradually and sometimes very quickly, um, help people reconnect to their deepest true nature um, through removing, identifying, removing obstacles to to their health and body, mind, and spirit. Beautiful, beautiful, Jonathan. Well, it has been such a pleasure having you back on the show, and these are very thought-provoking things that you've brought to us. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Our guest this hour has been Master Acupuncturist and Ayurvedic Practitioner, Jonathan Glass. Jonathan is the founder of Jiv Amta Energy Healing and the author of The Total Life Cleanse. His website, HealingEssenceCenter.com. Remember, our entire information-packed past episode collection is available for listen or download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net, and the Exxon TV channel, www.exxontvchannel.com. Join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our evolving world.